Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Wow. Something about praising the Lord and especially focusing on who He is and how awesome He is. God reveals Himself to us and has revealed Himself to us. Some of you came to Revelation in Christ early. I was 29, so I had uh, 28 years of not knowing God. I knew about God, but I didn't know God. And when I was 29 years old, I was riding my bike to the beach, and I said, God, if you really have to show me. And a few weeks Later, my phone rang, and the guy on the other line said, Hi, is Bob there? And I said, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. And before he hung up, he said, Jesus loves you. And I remember hearing those words, but I couldn't believe it because I, I did so many bad things, and I didn't know how God could ever love me. And the next day, I was in a mall, and there was a guy sitting on a bench, and he looked up at me, and he said, Hey, man, Jesus loves you. And uh, I remember looking over there, and he was gone. And then about a week later, I was in a parking lot full of cars, and there was a bright pink VW bug with written all over it in fluorescent paint, Jesus loves you. And I remembered praying, God, if you're real, you have to show me. And he did three times. That was the day that changed my life. I placed my faith in Jesus. I wasn't in a church. I was in a parking lot. I ended up in a church where I learned who this God is. That's why it's so important to be involved in a local church so that we can learn who God is. But I was in a parking lot when God revealed himself to me that way. God, you know, with Moses, chose to reveal himself in a burning bush, and it changed Moses' life. He was about 40 years old when this happened. Then he had to wait another 40 years till he started doing what God had for him to do. So anyways, we're going to talk about God who reveals. This is who God is. So if you have your outline... You can follow along. And also, I think you guys know, too, you know, you're able to take notes on our app on your uh, phone or your tablet as well, and then email it to yourself. And also, we're going to start something in a couple weeks, I think, too. We're going to do Facebook Live. Right now, we're recording the sermons. People watch them. People that don't go to this church watch them. And I get emails and texts from people in other states So this is an outreach for our church, but I need your help in getting the word out. Make sure you're sharing with people, because when we go Facebook Live, it's a live stream, and people could be watching the service wherever at the same time. Let's go through this together. So God reveals first his plan. He reveals his plan to Moses and to us. So how long has now Israel been in Egypt? Does anyone know? 400 years. What were they doing there? Looking at pyramids? They were building pyramids, yeah. So you kind of know the story. So Pharaoh has them in harsh labor, forced labor. He uh, tried to kill all the sons of the Israelites. He, He referred to them as Hebrew people. How was Moses saved? Via water. Remember his mother at three months old put him in a wicker, in a basket, which the word means ark. Remember last week we talked about how Moses was sailing down the Nile at three months old in an ark. And then later when he's writing this, I'm sure he says, oh my gosh, 
God used an ark with Noah and his family to start over. And here's God using me in an ark to start over and get God's people going. So it's an interesting parallel there. And then God prepared and equips Moses for his assignment. Even before he was born, remember we talked about that, that God had a plan, and that's the same with us, that even before we are born, God has formed us and chosen us and formed us for his purpose. And Moses' purpose was to deliver God's people out of Egypt. But first, God had to speak to Moses. So open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we'll be most of the time, 3 and 4 today. And let me read starting in verse 1. So it says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, which I love that name. Last week we found out that Ruel is the same person. Here Jethro, you know, the once was a man, his name was Jed, was a mountaineer. You know the one? He was the priest of the Midian people. One of the sons of Abraham was Midian, but it was with his wife Keturah, not Sarah. So it was after Sarah passed away. He had more kids. So this is one of his kids, but it's not the Israelite tribe. So he's there in Midian. He'd led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. So it's interesting. What happened at Mount Sinai? Ten commandments. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Moses, in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to Moses from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Parasite and the Hivite and the Jebusite is the promised land. Now behold, the cry of the Son of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So we see here, that God reveals himself to Moses while Moses is just doing his job. Moses was being a shepherd at this point, and God shows up in the middle of his workplace. So that's kind of an interesting, and God can show up whenever. But the problem is that we aren't always attentive. So God is here now. His Spirit is here. We are the church. We have the Spirit inside of us, and he's speaking to us through his word. But who spoke to Moses? It says, the angel of the Lord appeared. Now, it's interesting because later we find out this is God himself. And sometimes the Bible speaks of the angel of the Lord, and it could be a Christophany or a theophany. What are those words? Those are big words, right? What's a theophany? Visual manifestation. 
So how does God appear, but in a blazing fire? God chose this bush because God can choose whatever he wants, right? I mean, this makes sense, right? Why did he do this? Well, just because that's there. And he's trying to get Moses' attention. So this bush is burning, but it's not being consumed by the fire. So that's enough for Moses to go, hmm, what happens? God waits for Moses to pay attention. So Moses finally looks over. He takes notice, and then he speaks. So this is how he reveals himself to Moses, and this is how he reveals himself to us. He speaks through his word. So Moses notices the bush, and what does God say? Moses, Moses. The two times that it uses there was just a term of endearment. There's different ways to look at it, but mainly that was just the way people spoke when they loved somebody. They would say their name twice. Now this is the first time that God has spoken to one of his people, one of his servants, in 430 years. Jacob was the last. So we find out that the angel of the Lord is actually God himself. God chose to reveal himself to Moses in the middle of the desert, and it says he came down. So it's a theophany, a manifestation of God's presence. And Moses responds with what? Here I am. So we see this in the Bible, right? With Isaiah and other people say, here I am. Some people say, well, that sounds kind of formal, but that was the normal way. It would be like if someone called your name, hey, Shauna, and you'd say, yes, you know, that kind of thing. So it's nothing really abnormal. That's the way that they spoke. But here's what's really interesting. God speaks Moses' name. Moses says, here I am. And what are the first words out of God's mouth? Don't come near me. Next, take off your sandals. And the next, this is holy ground. Now, I don't know about you. I think that I tend to forget the holiness of God. You know the song, I'm a friend of God, and we are. But we can't lay aside the fact that he is incredibly holy. He's not just any person. He's holy. And the place where he shows up is holy. Where God chooses to show up is holy. Let's take it one step further. I am holy because God is here. Taking off your sandals was just a normal thing that anyone would do in the presence of someone of dignity and superiority. So God speaks to Moses. He says, don't come near me. Take your sandals off. This is holy ground. Then he identifies himself by saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, it was after hearing this that it says Moses hid his face and was afraid to look at God. Why? Because he heard about this God. Remember, he was three months old when he was put out into the Nile River on an ark and he was rescued by Pharaoh's family and raised. I'm sure that Pharaoh spoke about this God. Why? Because the Israelites were taken over Egypt in numbers. Moses heard, 
Moses knew about this God, and now he's in the presence of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Moses wanted to hide his face. I'm not sure why he didn't say something like, oh, excuse my expression, crap. (laughs) I'm a murderer, remember? I'm a sinner. It's the same reaction Peter had when he realized Jesus was God. He said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. This would be a normal reaction. You know, what's interesting is I run into people, you know, in different places and we get in a conversation and it might be weeks before we get to the part about what do you do for a living? So they'll tell me, what do you do? do?" And then they'll go, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a pastor. And you should see the look on their face. (laughs) I feel like I should carry around a portable confessional because they start rewinding everything they said and they try to edit it in their mind like, oh, shoot, I said this and I said that. So funny. I ran into a guy when I was on jury duty. I didn't actually go on jury duty, but I was waiting around. There was a guy next to me. I go, hey, Paul, this is a guy from high school. He's looking at me, what do you do? And I go, I'm a pastor. He's like, <laughs> you're a pastor? You're from high school, right? But it's funny because that's how oftentimes people think about God. You know, I hear people go, I'll invite him to church. Oh, I'm not walking in. The place is going to be on fire or, you know, the walls are going to fall on me. I go, no, we've had people come that that doesn't happen. But the fact that God speaks to us and reveals himself to us and he is that holy is pretty awesome. So God goes on to reveal to Moses that he has seen and heard the cry of his people, the suffering of his people. So God is an active God. He's not distant. He's actively noticing what's going on in this world. And he cares. And it had been 400 years since God revealed himself by speaking to a person this way. And guess what? At the end of the Old Testament, before the New Testament, it also was a span of 400 years where God had not spoken this way. Wouldn't it be incredibly horrible to have a silent God? I mean, think about how that would change your life to never hear from God or that he would stop speaking. You know what? There's a lot of believers even that aren't involved in some type of ministry in the church or involved in church, and they're not hearing God. They're hearing people on the news. They're hearing lies and deception. They're hearing the devil constantly all week long. Then they miss Sunday, and then they don't even read the Bible. I'm talking about Christians. It's horrible to not hear from God, but we don't have to live that way. We have God all the time speaking to us through his word. We just don't pay attention. So God reveals his plan to Moses, reveals his plan to us, which is to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That's his plan. That's where your life begins in Christ, is you place your faith in him. God is going to use Moses to do some incredible things. Next week, we're going to talk about the actual exodus of walking through the water which is incredible. But here's the thing. So Moses now has a choice. He knows who this God is, but am I going to place my faith in God? Because it's always about that. It's always has been, always will be. Do I place my trust in God? We're going to see in a little bit that there were some issues with that with Moses. But he reveals his plan. Next, he reveals his name. This is where it gets really good. Now hang with me. Does anyone know 
up to this point, how God would have been referred to, Elohim. Now, Elohim is the plural of El, E-L. El was the God, small g, of the Canaanites and the pagans of the time. In fact, Genesis opens up with, in the beginning, God, Elohim, created. Eugene Merrill gives us some insight into this God, El, E-L. It says, El holds the highest position in the Syro-Palestinian pantheon. What's a pantheon? Like a council of gods, so to speak. He is king and father of the gods, specifically father of Baal. He is generally thought of as a creator god, having seniority among the gods. So in Elohim, in the term El, it could refer to any god. We know it It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the people in the time didn't know. So even the pagan culture believed in a God named El, all right? Have you noticed sometimes when people speak publicly and they'll say, I want to thank God, you know, for this and that, or, you know, God loves you. Now, the question is, to which God are they referring That's one way, but there's a big difference if someone stands up in front of people and says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What happens? People get a little uncomfortable because of the name. Now there's a name to the God. It's not just God. It's the Lord God. And things become personal. This is what's happening now. God is becoming personal with Moses. So let's continue in verse 10 in chapter 3. God has just told Moses the plan. We're going to set my people free. God continues, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he says, certainly I'll be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship at this mountain, Sinai. Then Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may ask me, what's his name? What do I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, that's what you tell him. I am sent you. So God is getting personal, but what does that mean? I am. First of all, Moses asks a very important question. What's your name? Now, he's not saying necessarily like, you know, what's your name? Like, what do I call you? He's also saying, what's your qualifications? Who are you? What is it about you that makes you different? Because when you think of a name of somebody... Sadly, you can think two ways of that person, right? You can go, oh, yeah, I love that guy. Or, mm, okay, mm. But you identify how you feel about that person and think about that person by their name, right? Now, I think it's interesting. Now, Moses wrote this, right? And he's going to be pretty honest about his failures. That's what I love about the Bible. It's an autobiography about God and about people that are screwed up. Not God screwed up, but people are screwed up. And they write about it, honestly. I don't know if it's missing or I don't know if the first thing would be like, God, tell me your name. I don't know if I'd fall down and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Lord, 
why have you chosen me to do this? But nevertheless, because Moses has this question, don't you love when you're in school and the one kid keeps asking the questions and at first you're like, oh my gosh, quit asking. Then they ask the right question, you know, to answer to the test. You're like, oh, thank God he asked the answer to that question. Well, Moses asked this question and thank God he did because now we know who he is. Now, remember, it's a historic progression. Okay, we start off with Genesis. We're now in Exodus. They didn't know this God. They knew there was a God. Moses now knows who this God is. And then we get to know that Jesus is the same God. So God answers Moses' request in verse 14. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am is Haya Asher, who I am. Haya is a very important word. It's derived from the word, the verb, to be or exist. And in this statement, it's in the imperfect tense. Now, if you know anything about grammar, the imperfect tense is a continual tense. Like, I was doing that. Was is an imperfect tense. I was doing something. Well, there's really no beginning or end. I was doing it, right? Well, here, the fact that it's in the continuous form means that I am not just now here. I am continually existing. In fact, I never stopped existing. I've existed before existence. I am existence. I'm eternal. And by the way, that's why I entitled this whole sermon series, The God Who Is. Dwayne Stewart writes, The name should thus be understood as referring to Yahweh's being the creator and sustainer of all that exists, and thus the Lord of both creation and history, all that is and all that is happening, God and active and present in historical affairs. God is active. He's never not been. He will never not be. He's always is. Now, he's a personal active God who intervenes in his story, history, according to his plan and purpose for his glory. It's never about us. It's always about him. God reveals himself in that way to Moses by saying, I am who I am. Now later, this is why the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus. Some people say, oh, Jesus never said he was God. Are you kidding me? Look what he says to the religious leaders as documented in John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. He was saying, I am God. I am that God. That's why they wanted to kill him. Yahweh is derived from the verb hayah to be. Now, when this is used as a personal pronoun, it appears in your Bible in capital L-O-R-D. So remember, the verb I am, now we're talking about the pronoun for God, his name, Lord. The actual word in Hebrew is Yehovah. Now we have heard it as Jehovah, right? In Hebrew, there's no J sound and no V. So it actually would be Yehovah. And that's important. Why? Because when you look at the word Yahweh, it's taken from Yehovah, 
but the vowels are missing, which is translated in the Bible, capital L-O-R-D. So when you see capital L-O-R-D, it's the holy name of God. It's so holy that Jews don't even say it. If it was actually written out, you would have yeah. It would be a small E. We sometimes have the Y-A, but it would be small E, small O, small A, Yahowah. So Yahweh, that means Lord. It's the holiest of names. The short version is Yah. You remember that song, Yah-mo-be-de? Yah, Yah, and then in being from Jamaica, they say Jah. Okay, but they're referring to God. Now, here's the interesting thing. I want you to think about this. Jesus, the name Jesus is the Greek translation of his actual name. Does anyone know? Yeshua. Yahshua. Yahshua. Yah, Lord, Shua, who saves. You see? Yahweh, Yahshua. It would be Joshua, right? We would know it that way. I don't know about you, but when I share these things, to me, it's like super interesting. But you're probably going, oh, I don't care about that. But how does that apply to me? Well, we'll talk about that. But how does it apply to you is that Jesus is Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R. So when Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is what? Lord. He's saying you have to believe that he is Yahweh. He is God himself. Now, we can't confuse that with the Trinity because we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean he's not God. They're all God. And Jesus is the one that actually, when you read Scripture, Jesus, Yeshua, the Son, the Word, is the one who created everything. That is incredible. Again, a name is not just about an outward identity. It talks about who that person is. Going on with Exodus 3, and we're going to start at verse 15. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to you to what you say. It goes on. The king of Egypt, you will say to him, so he's talking about Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So God is telling, this is what you got to say to Pharaoh. Let us go on a three-day journey in the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go, except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand in judgment and provide miracles in the midst of them. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Now that's important. Keep your finger there. Go back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 14. 
Who is God speaking to here? God is speaking to Abraham. I'll start in verse 12. So God says to Abraham, this is hundreds of years before this. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land. So he's telling Abraham what's going to happen right here in Exodus, 400 years later. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. God revealed this to Abraham. But here's a part, verse 14. But I will judge the nation whom they serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. That's what God is saying to Moses here. You're not going to come out empty-handed. You're going to have a lot of stuff. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So we see how the story has progressed now. There is one more aspect to God's name that's in Exodus 4.22. You shall say to Pharaoh, this is important. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, Israel is my son. So that's Moses. You're supposed to tell Pharaoh that you are my kids, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. What's important about this? Yahweh is also Israel's father, which means there's an adoption thing going on here. The all-holy God is their father, and they're his children. Now, how does that apply to us? The all-holy God is our father. Remember what Jesus said, how to pray? Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, he's not saying your name isn't holy, so it should be holy. He said, no. We want to make your name holy because it is. But he's also our father. And we are adopted in Christ. And the third thing that God reveals to Moses is his power. After this entire spoken revelation to God, Moses comes with all kinds of excuses. We're going to talk about it in a minute. He reveals his plan, his name, his power. In Exodus chapter 4, we won't go through all this right now, but we read in uh, verses 4, 1 through 5, Moses says, what if they don't believe me? And he comes up with all kinds of excuses. And God says, don't worry about it, Moses. You're going to see incredible power that comes forward. Later on, you should read verses 6 through 9 because um, God does an incredible thing with Moses' staff where it turns into a snake and back to his staff. So here, what do we learn so far? Because we're going to end in a minute, but what do we learn so far? God is holy. God is the one who reveals. If he didn't reveal to us, we would know nothing. Don't take for granted what you know. In fact, Jesus said, because you know this, you are responsible with that information. God is not just any God. He's not just El. He's Yahweh. The Lord is powerful, can do anything he wants. God chooses, elects, and adopts according to his purpose. And Moses did not feel up to the task, but it doesn't matter how you feel. It's up to God to choose and you to believe. So let's end with finding yourself in the story because have you ever felt like Moses? Now this is adapted by Warren Wiersbe and his commentary, Be Delivered. The first thing Moses says, I'm a nobody. Okay, I'm a nobody. So imagine meeting God and hearing this information. 
I'm revealing to you this plan. So how would you react? Well, here's how Moses reacts. God says, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Man, that is an incredible calling statement, right? What am I called to do? Oh, man, I'm called. God's going to use me. But Moses said to God, I am a nobody. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? That's basically what he's saying. But God says, Moses, I will be with you. I am with you. And this shall be the sign that is I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So he's already telling him, you're going to get out of Egypt and you're going to end up at this same mountain where I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. What is basically God saying to Moses in one word besides trust? Go. Moses, don't stay here. This sheep herding thing was to get you ready for the sheep in Israel because they're going to be stubborn and murmuring people and you're going to have to know how to deal with those kind of people. But he didn't say stay there. He said go. And that's what God says to us. The beginning of everything God wants us to do is never sit in a chair. Now prayer, that's good. But it's never just stay sitting in a chair. It's always go do something. What did Jesus say? Go and make disciples, right? Go preach the gospel. Go shed the light. Go salt the earth. But I'm a nobody. And then God says, but I am with you. Warren Wiersbe writes, what Moses thought of himself, what others thought of Moses, really wasn't important. God had spoken, and that was all Moses needed for assurance that he was the right man for the job. At 40 years of shepherding, so extinguished the fire in his soul that he didn't think he could serve the Lord. Why was he looking at himself instead of looking by faith to the Lord? I will be with you is all the assurance God's servants need in order to succeed. Don't let the fire burn out. Okay, Jesus didn't die for a nobody. Now here's the good news. What if... God revealed the rest of the story to Moses. Then he'd really be out, right? Like Moses, yeah, and by the way, before you get to the promised land, you're going to wander around the desert for 40 years because of the sin of unbelief of your sheep. And Moses, you're going to get so angry that you're going to strike the rock instead of speak to the rock, and that very act will keep you from experiencing the promised land on earth. You will experience it in heaven. And by the way, Moses, you're going to get so angry, you're going to break the Ten Commandments. I'm going to have to give another set. So isn't it God's grace that he doesn't tell Moses all that stuff? Isn't it God's grace that he doesn't tell us all that? I mean, if God sat there and told me, once you start the gate, all these things are going to happen in the next 20 years, I'm like, no, get somebody else, man. I'm not doing that. But we're supposed to believe God in what we know. And we're supposed to act on what we know. Do you think that all of a sudden you're going to get more information and you're going to go do it? No, you're not doing what he's telling you now. He's just waiting for you to do that. Then you'll hear the rest. Number two, Moses said, I'm not a very good speaker. 
I'm not a very good speaker, and I have to add a very verbal, enthusiastic LOL on that one, because that was me. That is me. I'll never forget when God put on our heart to start the gate, and then it hit me. Oh, no. I'm not a public speaker. I'm a worship leader. I'm a musician. God, you got to send a speaking pastor. I'm not it. Well, that's not how God works. So Moses said to the Lord, Yahweh, please, Lord. Now, so God's Yahweh, but Moses answers with Adonai, which is master. I've never been an eloquent or a man of words, neither recently nor in the time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow or heavy of speech and heavy of tongue. Now, did Moses have a speech defect? Some people think so. I think not. I think he's just coming up with excuses, and here's why. In Acts 7.22, in the New Testament, it says Moses was educated in all learning, and the Egyptian, he was a man of power in words. No. God's just waiting you to step up and do it. He was already a man of power in words. He was just coming up with every excuse in the book. I see this all the time, sadly, in the church. I'm not good enough. I can't speak. No, forget it. Just do what God's telling you and trust him. Because the bush is burning and is waiting for you to just get your act together and trust him. Don't let the fire go out. Wiersbe says, Moses completely missed the message of God's name and God's miraculous power. I am is all that we need in every circumstance of life. And it's foolish for us to argue, I am not. If God can turn rods into serpents and serpents into rods, he can cause and cure leprosy. And if he can turn water into blood, then he can enable Moses to speak his word with power. Moses was making the mistake of looking at himself instead of looking to God. The God who made us is able to use the gifts and abilities he's given us to accomplish the task he's given to us. This is what God's response to Moses. The Lord said to him, who has made your mouth? Or who makes a person deaf or someone who's seeing blind? Or is not I Yahweh? Now just go and I will be with you, your mouth, and teach you what you are to say. So faith is active. It's not just sitting. It's doing something. We're not saved by our works, but we should do works for God. And then Moses didn't give up on his excuses. Then he says, can't you send somebody else? And this is the worst one of all. Here's why. God, yes, doesn't need you, but he wants to use you. So if you wait for somebody else, you're missing what God wants to do with your life. You miss the blessing that God has for you. So Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, and then he uses Adonai again. He's not using the holy name of God. Moses calls him Lord, but he doesn't do it. And that's what we do. Jesus, you are Yahweh, you are my Lord, but only in certain things, in things that I'm comfortable with. So don't ask me to step out of my comfort zone. Now, here's what I have to say. If God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. And that means with every part of your life. So Moses says, the last thing goes, please send somebody else. He literally said that. Now, who wrote Exodus? Moses. Well, it takes a lot of humility to write that, right? And God referred to him as the most humble man ever to live. So what is God calling you to do right now? Sometimes it's simple, like trust. 
speak, tithe, give, follow, share, invite, pray. I mean, these are simple things. If we can't start with the simple things, then how are we going to get to the next level? God's using this church in a powerful way. We're small in numbers, but we need to be praying for more numbers. But until we get there, we got to do what we got to do. Because if we don't, the whole church suffers. If every person is not doing what God is calling you to do. Now, I'm not saying that you're not, but just let the Lord be Lord. Remember, Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. But whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. And that's every part of our life. He teaches that. We have a big vision for this church, and we need everybody on board. And so last, verse 14, the Lord's anger burned. So the bush is burning, but the Lord got angry against Moses. He said, what about your brother then, Aaron? I know he can speak well. Ouch. And he's already on the way to meet you. Oh, wow, how nice of that. And he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth because Moses, you are my prophet, not Aaron. I will be both of you. Now, isn't it cool that God's like, okay, you want help? Use Aaron. But here's the problem with Aaron. Aaron didn't cooperate too well. Aaron was the one that when Moses went up in the mountain with God, he's enjoying the golden calf ceremony. It's like, hey, let's worship the golden calf. And then Miriam, Moses's sister, and along with Aaron become critical of Moses which brings disunity into the camp. Because when God in his anger gives us what we selfishly want, that gift rarely turns out to be a blessing. You hear that? When God in his anger gives us what we selfishly want, that gift rarely turns out to be a blessing. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you everything that you want? Hallelujah. Now Moses became the greatest prophet in the history of the Old Testament. And it wasn't that Moses couldn't do what God asked. It was that he wouldn't at first. And this is the pattern. And it will end up in the desert. The lesson is plain. God knows us better, Wiersbe says, than we know ourselves. So we trust him and obey what he tells us to do. When we tell God our weaknesses, we aren't sharing anything he doesn't know. The will of God will never lead you where the power of God can't enable you. So walk by faith in his promise. So now what? What has God said? What has God revealed to you that you need to act upon, believe, and do? And what has God revealed to you that you might need to stop doing so that you can do what God is wanting you to do? Because if God is not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. So let's pray. And we thank you, Lord, Yahweh, the holiest of gods, the God above all gods, that you reveal yourself to us, not only revealing your plan and calling for our life, but you reveal personal things through your word about you and about us. And Lord, all we need to do is trust you. And when we can trust you and obey you, we experience blessings that will be incredible beyond what we can ask or imagine. I pray, Lord, for the people here today that they will not be stuck in the desert looking at a burning bush because you move past that. That revelation that you've given them is only happening if they're willing to step past that bush into the uncomfortable territory, but yet the place that you have for us so that we can enter the promised land.
Whatever that is, we trust you with that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com. Amen.